So last week uh, at Esperanza, they overflowed a room, and so they requested the gym, so they gave him the gym. So this was today at Esperanza High School, and you can see there was 130 kids, according to the report that Jared just sent me, and about 30 kids made a decision for Christ. So amen. Isn't that great? Whitney, you were there, right? It was awesome, huh? Come up here, Whitney. Just make your way up here. All right, we'll put you on the spot. So what I was saying was we, we had time today to pray for like a half hour before the actual Bible club met. And um, I was just saying it was such a different atmosphere. Um, when the kids walked in, they literally, I saw them like light up. And um, there's just, there was a difference when, when Jared started talking and he went through um, a prayer of salvation um, all the kids had their head bows, bowed, whereas before there were kids that were like, you know, like, <laughs> like whatever, goofing off. And like today they were all so attentive and like, yeah, it was just really cool. That's all. Okay. So anyways, amen. Isn't that great? So to me, this is just part of that evidence. You know, I came to you not in eloquent words, but in, in the spirit and a demonstration of power. This is a demonstration of power. You know, I mean, you think about it, we are in a public school, in a gymnasium with 130 kids, and it's the second week, second week. And uh, yeah, I text uh, Victoria, and she texted me back and said, yeah, and a bunch of the kids are coming Sunday night. You know, so you're going to start to see that flow. Here's one thing I, I really just, um, I want to um, kind of unplug here. Um, I really want to just have you all pray about and think about um, I really would, uh, really just really been praying that God would give us a couple of vans. I thought it would be really cool if we had vans to transport kids and wrap them. You know, you've seen vehicles that have been wrapped completely and wrap them really cool. And they're just like little billboards running around, you know. And uh, we can park them over at the school. They say influence, expect a miracle. I mean, that whole thing. So, you know, if God lays that on your heart or you know a source on that, just let me know. But I think it'd be really cool to get a couple of vans and start. Because, you know, this thing is going to blow up. I mean, it's just going to go good. You know, this is a start. This is just one school, right? Just one. This is not just one of three that are functioning now and two more that are going to come online pretty quick. Okay? All right. Let's go to, uh, let's go to the Johnson book and talk about this a little bit. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest things you can do to help yourself in your spiritual maturity is to memorize scripture. So I said that one time years ago, I said that, and this little sweet, frail lady came up to me and she was, uh, I think she was 88 or 89. And she said, you know, pastor, um, I wish I would have been known you when I was younger, because when I had a good mind and I could remember stuff, and I just can't remember stuff anymore. And I said, what's your phone number? She rattled it off. You know, that was when we could do that. You know, we can't do that anymore. Now we just, it's number four, you know, like on our phone. She rattled it off. And I said, what's your address? And she rattled it off. I said, how long have you lived at that new address? She said, about two years. I knew I had her. 
I said, look, if you can memorize that and you can memorize, why did you memorize it? Because you had one thing that you was really important, motivation. I want to get home. I want somebody to call me. That was my motivation. I said, I just want to challenge you. Why don't you just try to memorize one verse every three months? Okay? Seemed kind of reasonable, right? So anyway, she said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to memorize one verse every three months. So at the end of the month, she came up to me, and she said, I want you to know I did my memory work. And I said, you did. What did you learn? She said, I memorized five verses in one month. She said, I decided I can do five a month. Okay? And she kept that up. About maybe a year after that, she came up to me, and she said, I want to get baptized. I said, baptized? Have you never been baptized? She said, nope. I want to get baptized. So I baptized her, and when it was all over, she came up to me. She said, I want you to know that I haven't been in a swimming pool or a bathtub since I was 14 years old when I almost drowned in a lake, and I've been afraid of a body of water. I said, why didn't you tell me? She said, because I figured if Jesus could take me to heaven and get me out of hell, he could certainly get me out of that baptistry. What what happened there, there was she became an overcomer. She she overcame what she thought she couldn't do in scripture. She overcame what she thought she couldn't do in the water. God is about creating overcomers. Right? He's about taking us from wherever we are, and you're gonna overcome a difficulty because you're going to find the sufficiency of Christ in your life. And what happens is, see what she was really doing is she was renewing her mind. Wasn't she? She was thinking different about life. I can think different about Scripture and its, and, and its ability, my ability to, to remember. I can think differently about water. And I overcome fears. I overcome difficulties with a renewed mind. Everyone in here has something they need to overcome. I promise you. It might seem small. It might seem big. But I guarantee you, everybody in here has something. It could be something you, somebody you just don't like. It could be a situation that, that makes you uncomfortable. You bring it up, and that's the only thing that dominates your mind. Mention that person's name, immediately creates a, a dilemma in your mind. Okay? God wants you to overcome that. Now, you can't overcome everything at once. That's a trick, right? I got too much stuff. I got a list. Okay, pick the easiest one. Work your way up. See what God's got. So the reason I say that I tell that story is because we're talking about remembering the promises of God. What has God promised? You know, someone's taken and putting together, there's probably multiple versions of it, but the, all the promises of the Bible. And you just read them, and they're like little promises. And you read them and go, that doesn't sound like a promise. No, it's because God hadn't speak to you about that being a promise. But it's amazing. God has promised a lot of things. He's promised you salvation. That's a promise, right? He's promised his, he would return. That's a promise, isn't it? So when you lock into promises, what do they do? They give you strength and stability for your days. They allow you to kind of lock down. And so if you'll notice there on the first, uh, the second new paragraph on page 113, it's easy for our minds to stray into natural thinking only and for our faith to erode so subtly that we don't even notice it's happening. We become natural thinkers. It's easy, isn't it? Easy to do that. So how do we do that? We have, to, we have to constantly be on guard. We have to constantly be renewing 
that mind because our mind is going to go back into the lowest common denominator, fear, natural, my ability, my resources, my strength. And when that happens, you just got to go, no, God, you know, you promised, you know, this is, this is your deal. I'd say this to God all the time. I'm sure he's tired of it. I say, God, this is your deal. You got me into this mess. You got to get me out of this mess. Really? And I'm talking about relationship. You know, I'm a Christian and I'm trying to live by these promises and I'm going to just act as if they're so. And if they're not, it's your deal. It's your problem, God. I'm putting you on the spot. They said of, um, of D.L. Moody, and if you've ever heard of this name, he was a kind of a famous preacher from uh, Chicago. They said he, his prayers were so bold that it almost sounded like he was scolding God because he would take the promises of God and say, God, you said it. God likes that. Uh, last night I, I spoke to the, to the women. That was a real experience. All women in a room. I was the only guy. I was like a lion in a den of Daniels. And, uh, but I said this, God is an investor. He's not a saver. He's an investor. There's a difference. A saver says, whatever I got left, I'll put it in the bank. It's in my budget. I put in there. No investor. I'm going to put in there. I'm going to take a risk. God is an investor. He took a risk. He put a deposit down the Holy spirit in you that he might reap great results. Think about all the parables. It's all about investing. Guy goes out, plants a bunch of seed, right? Only 25% of that seed brings forth fruit. But when it brings forth fruit, it's more than what he had when he planted. One time I was preaching a sermon called Corn, and I, uh, I got an ear of corn. I went down to the grocery store, bought two or three ears of corn, and I brought, came home and I counted them. Now, that's not easy. I found if you want to do it, you get a felt tip mark. You got to know where you started because it all looks the same, right? So I'm counting it, and I figured out that it was anywhere between 800 and 1,000 kernels on an ear. And most corn has two, and some have three stalks. So I put one grain in the ground, and I'm going to get the worst kind of response I'm going to get if it's healthy is 1,600 to one. I could get up to 3,000 to one return. And that's why the Bible says, don't eat your seed, plant it. Risk. See, God's an investor. And so when he, when we invest in us, he knows he's going to get a thousand, two thousand, three thousand return from you. That's why, remember the dude, he, he's got, uh, he comes back and he, he gives one guy five, he gives one guy two, and he gives one guy one. You know, and the guy with the one, what does he do? First thing he does, he's a saver. He goes out, he digs up the ground, he puts it in there. You know, I'm not going to, man, my, my master is, is a tough dude. He is not going to like it if I lose this money. I'm going to save it, and I'm going to give it back to him. Other guy goes out with two, he makes two more. Guy with five, he makes five more, right? Comes back, the master comes in, he's calling them all in. He's the guy with five, he comes in, he goes, how'd you do? Five more. Good. Good investment. I like that was risky. It had to be high risk, right? You could lose it all. You had the most and you could lose it all. Guy with two, how'd you do? Doubled it. Hey, good. Brings in the guy with one. Now this is where it really gets good. Brings the guy with one, how'd you do? He said, yeah, I know who you are. So he didn't know the character of God. That's what the first lesson of that parable is about. I know you're a hard man. You reap where you do not sow. No, I don't. 
I only reap where I sow. It's a spiritual law of the kingdom. He didn't even know the laws of the kingdom. He says, I knew you're a hard man, and he said, so I buried it in the ground. Here it is. I'm just proud to give it back to you. You didn't lose anything. And what does he do? You wicked servant. Wicked? The dude gave your money back? Yeah, but I'm not a saver. Cast him out. He takes the one. You would think he'd give it to the guy that had two so he could have, you know, five. Bring it up to five. He doesn't do it. Who does he give it to? Gives the guy with 10. Because you see what God does in this whole investment world, he says, I'm going to get a better return out of the 10 than I'm going to get out of the five. Right? It's the principle of the kingdom. What are you doing with the investment that God put in you? The only way you're going to get it, reap reward is risk. Right? What if I lose big? Then you go. You went out trusting God. Think about all the biblical characters. They risked big, right? They, they their reputation was on the line. I mean, Jeremiah to me was the guy I feel the sorriest for. You know, he was called the weeping prophet for a good reason. I mean, you know, he and he got so mad at God one time. He said, "You know, God, you deceived me, and I was deceived." Now imagine saying that to God. God, you you know you. You told me you were coming through. One time God says, okay, I want you to strip down to the loincloth. I want you to walk through Jerusalem, and I want you to give this prophecy that the enemy is going to come in so fierce there's going to be nothing left but a loincloth on every one of you. I don't know about you. You know, I, I'm hoping he's doing it when I'm young. If that's the prophecy, I want to be like 18 and prime. All right? I don't want to be 200 and none of your business pounds. You know what I mean? And then he says, and so Jeremiah gets so mad at God. Here's what he says. I am not going to speak your name again. And then your word was like a sledgehammer to my heart. And I could not help but speak your name. God invested in him. He knew it. But the human part of Jeremiah, God was breaking Jeremiah. God was renewing Jeremiah. God was bringing Jeremiah to a new place. All right. Go to page 114, top of the page, and remember. Let's see here. Did I get that last part there? Go to the, the bottom there. I'm sorry. Bottom of page 113. It's easy for our minds to stray from the natural thinking only and for our faith to erode until we don't uh, notice it happening. Okay? Then you go to the top. Remember God's word, devising, top of page 114, devising ways of reminding ourselves of his promises to us, then passing those promises and remembrances on to the next generation of believers without taking practical steps to remember and meditate on the truth. We easily forget what God has promised. What do you do to remember? You know, one of the things we, you know, one of the reasons we did that door hanger with all the, the, you know, the five or six people that had been healed. You know what? One of the reasons I got me thinking about that, I thought we need to start taking and writing down all the miracles we've, we've seen in this church because I forget sometimes, don't you? I mean, I, I just forget. It's interesting because uh, Katie, who was, who was healed of ovarian cancer, They'd kind of, they'd moved out in Corona. They hadn't, I hadn't seen them in a while. And I just, they said they had a church out there and um, I ran into them somewhere and they came to church and it was a week I was preaching on miracles 
uh, on healing rather. And he came up to me afterwards. He says, you know, we we have forgotten that God healed Katie. And I, th- I don't think the guy's missed but one Sunday since then. He needed me to talk about the miracles to bring him back to where he was. So we need, I mean, that's a big miracle. Ovarian cancer, so you find out six weeks before you're going to get married. Then they tell you you can't have children. And then all of a sudden she gets married and then she has a little girl. Three different tests confirmed it was malignant cancer. Bam. So you may not have a story quite that dramatic, but you have a miracle of God somewhere in your life. How do you remember it? How do you remember it? Okay. Um, Go down to the bottom of page uh, 114 there. See where it it references Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Um, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on thee. My peace goes away when I stop thinking about Jesus. How about yours? I got to I got to find ways to fix my memory on Jesus. I got to stay fixed on Jesus because I'm not in perfect peace then. There's a passage in Philippians 4, you know this one? Um, it says uh, finally brethren whatsoever things are good and lovely and pure and right think on these things, remember that? The next one, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He used the word guard there for a Roman uh, garrison. God will establish a Roman garrison to protect your mind. So, but you've got to do what? I got to, here's, here's my part, to renew in my mind. I've got to, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are good, lovely, pure, right, good report, worthy of praise, think on these things. When I don't think on these things, what happens to my mind? I think about all that can go wrong. My mind's not fixed. It's not fixed on that. It's fixed on something else. You ever fixed your mind on worry? How you doing, man? I'm just so worried. I don't know what I'm going to do. Man, things are bad and getting worse, right? Kind of like I said the other day, you know, you know, two bad things happen to me, and then tell a guy, and he says, well, you know, bad things come in threes. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here, you know? Are you kidding me? I don't need to hear that. But I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to do something to do that. I've got to, so I, what I do is I use this Philippians, and this is a filter. I call it the Philippians 4 filter. You know, have you ever had a filter and you pour something through it and it catches whatever's there, right? Okay. So what you're going to do is you're going to say, I'm going to pour my thoughts through Philippians 4. I'm going to ask myself, is this thought good? Is it a good thought? Then you can keep going with it. Okay, but we're not done yet. Is it true? Seems true. No, is it true? Is it lovely? Worthy of praise? Will it give a good report? If I fail on any one of those, I have to stop thinking about that and think about something else. Your mind won't work in a vacuum, so what you have to do is you, you have to fill it. I'm just not going to think about it. That's all you will think about. You have to start putting your mind now. Where do you put it? You put it on the things that are good. What do I know in my life that's good and lovely and pure and right and worthy of praise? And I let my mind go there. You know, it's kind of like that old saying, you know, don't think about a pink elephant. How many of you got one in your head right now, right? 
don't think of, how about that little that little jingle that comes on you know and it's a stupid little song you can't get out of your head and the only way you can really get even is to inflict your friend with it hey i was listening to this little jingle i sing a little jingle and now they got the jingle in their head too right okay our minds work that way okay so you want to fix your, yourself on the right thing now look at i thought this was really good bottom page 14 it begins with the word because it's the last three words if we look at it long enough, we will gain, it will gain our trust. Pretty soon, we'll begin praying out of fear, and eventually, we quit praying and start looking for sympathy. When you're looking for sympathy, you're not praying. You're not trusting. Oh, yes, I am. Really? Really? I've given this to God. Yeah, but you snuck back and got it off the altar. Okay. The Old Testament, they had, a, they had a, um, the brazen altar, and what they would do is it had hooks on it. There's like cool pictures. If you have a cool Bible, you know, with all those extra pictures and stuff in the back, right? Um, it's got like pictures of the Old Testament tabernacle and all that, and you see that brazen altar, and there's these fle- they're flesh hooks. So they would, they would kill this animal, and then they would put it on the brazen altar, and they would hook it into these flesh hooks because they didn't want it to slide off. You know, like this skin deer is like slip, slippery, right? Or whatever it is, right? This deer, this bull is slippery. So we don't want it to slip off and miss out on the sacrifice. So they would hook it on this flesh hooks so it would stay there until it was a burnt offering. Compare spiritual things with spiritual things. You have to leave your flesh on the flesh hook until it's an acceptable sacrifice before God. You can't slide off. And it takes something pretty, it, it, you got the, you need hooks to hold yourself down because you want to get out of there, right? Man, this is painful. I don't want to give that up. Are you kidding me, God? I don't want to, I don't want to lose, I don't want to die to self. Are you kidding me? I love self. No, keep it there. Let it burn up. Once it's burned up, it's going to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord and all is going to be good. Just leave it there. You know, don't sneak in. Steal it. Steal it off the off the altar. Start working in sympathy. Next uh, new paragraph. We must get our minds set on spiritual things because as long as we fill our minds with what's happening in the natural, we we restrict our effectiveness. We may rise up now and then and score victory with the gift of faith, but we won't have the continual influence of kingdom transformation flowing through us. Are these like good reminder stuff? You know? Okay, take your Bible and let's go to Habakkuk. Habakkuk. There's a, there's a book that definitely is seeking. You've, you may find those little prophets... Um, you know, they, they just don't give us much. That's why, they, that's why God put an index in the front of your Bible. All right? Imagine if you had to find this on a scroll. You got a 20-foot scroll. We're going to unroll it, and we're going to find it. We got a whole team in here. Yeah, that's why we have the long table. Get the scroll. Everybody got it. Nobody's got it. Habakkuk. You got it? Habakkuk. Now, let's just go to Habakkuk 1.1 first, and then I'm going to take you to chapter 2, okay? The burden which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Okay, now go to chapter 2. A vision is always birthed out of a burden. A vision is always birthed out of a burden. 
you've probably heard me say, if you've ever said we ought to do this or we ought to do that, I usually respond in the same way to everybody. Your misery is your ministry. Go do it. Don't tell me. You go do that. You, you have a heart for that. Go figure out how to do it. And if it works, come tell me. We'll embrace it and, 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 and get behind it. But you've got, a, you've got a burden. Go do something with it. Well, I just think we should care for the homeless. Go take care of a homeless person. Convey of Hope. You ever heard of Convoy, Convoy of Hope out of Arkansas? I mentioned it the other day. They feed more homeless people. or They feed more meals than anybody, I think, all the other organizations together. And the guy came out of church. And they, the preacher was preaching on um, feeding, taking care of somebody that's hungry. And he says, God, I can't take care of all the hungry people. God says, take care of one. Said, okay. One turned into two. Two turned into 20. 20 turned into 200. 200 turned into 20,000. Turned into a million. See, it's, it's not hard to get somewhere with your burden if you start. Okay, so here's what it says. Verse, chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. God's speaking to you, you got to write it down. Write the vision and make it plain. Make it plain. So you've got, so all of a sudden you've got a burden and you say, God, I, 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 there's just something I want to do with that burden. And, and God says, here's a vision. Now when I give it to you, I want you to make it plain. Simplify it. It's, it can't be so complicated. Nobody figures it out, including you. And then he says, write it down. No, I got it in my head. No, you don't. Write it down. Write down the vision. Now we're learning. This is how. This is a part of this whole supernatural renewing the mind. All right, because he's giving you the scripture on page one fifteen. Okay, so write it how on tablets. Why on tablets? Why not? Why not on, you know, um, you know, animal skin? Why not on papyrus? Because it needs to stay, needs to be fixed. Write it on tablets that he may run who reads it. Hey, when I read that, I love that vision. I'm going after that vision. I got to do that vision. I got I got to get after that vision. And you run to that vision. It says you may run for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Oh God, if God gave it to you, God revealed something to you, hey, it's it's just for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak. At the end, you know what the vision does? This is what I'm talking about. So we, when we were trying to find a place to call home, one of the places was what is now Hobby Lobby. We marched around it. We anointed the door with oil. I mean, we did everything. We, we risked, you know, everything, man. We were just like the crazy people who were trying to get the 70,000 square foot building with no money. But that, why would that stop us? Why would it stop us, right? Now, we didn't get it. Did we fail? No, you know why? Because when we got in this, the vision spoke. And I heard it from dozens of people. They said, this is really where we should have been. This is where God wanted us. The vision spoke. That wasn't right. That was going to take too much money. We were going to get all tied up in all the, you know, the association there and all the stuff that were going on. We, it wasn't going to work. The vision spoke. This is where we needed to be. The vision will speak. And it will not lie. Though it tarries, have you ever noticed how visions always tarry? They're not like drive-thrus. I went through the drive-thru at McDonald's the other day. I love to get the ice cream. Did everybody go to the ice cream? I always go to McDonald's. So we're driving over there, Tammy and I, and she says, you know, I hear Chick-fil-A has good ice cream. 
I go, I don't think we should risk it. <laughs> hey, I'm only getting one cone tonight, and I don't want to, th- you know, if it's not a good cone and I hear they're more expensive, six over here at McDonald's, and they're going to be like two bucks over there. I know it. She said, no, let's go. So we go over there. She said, get one McDonald's and get one this. No, because then you're going to want the McDonald's. It's going to be better. I guarantee it's not going to work. Okay, I was a prophet. So we go up there, and I go, okay, we're going to have two cones. They were like a buck seventy-eight. I'm spending almost four bucks. Could have got four cones over there. One lick, and I'm going, this ain't good. This is not as good. But I'm not saying anything. The vision's going to speak. She goes, this is not as good. I told you to go over there. She said, I told you to go over there and get one of each. I said, I'm not doing that. You'd want that. I'd have to eat this bad one. (laughs) Visions always speak. They always speak. They will not lie. Though they tarry, we're never going back to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A's got great chicken. I'm not getting no chicken McNuggets. But I'll go over to Chick-fil-A and get chicken. I'm not getting ice cream there. Okay. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not tarry. There's a paradox. It's going to tarry. It will not tarry. It will surely come. In other words, it will come at the right time. You ever try to speed up the vision God gave you? Sometimes we do it with high-level begging. Right? Just sophisticated sound of begging from God. God, you know I really need that now. God, I don't know what you're doing. Must be sleeping. God, you showed me. I'm calling it. I'm calling the mark. Does it ever do any good? Eh, it just comes when it wants. Kind of like having a baby. Baby gets ready, he'll come. I was a month late. 10 pounds, 24 hours of labor. That's why I'm an only child. <laughs> I'm said enough of that. Are you kidding me? I was already potty trained though when I got out, so it was cool. <laughs> Page 116. Review it. Review it. Okay, what do you review? Go back over the promises of God until you can see it. God gives you a promise, review it. Go back over it, read it, let it sink in, let it, let it get deep in your soul, you know? And you know, sometimes, sometimes we have ideas and goals and visions and things that really, they really weren't of God, they were just of us. Just something I wanted to do. I've, there's a lot of goals, a lot of things that I probably thought was God, and I look back on it, I go, it wasn't God, it was Phil. And God just said, yeah, I know. It's kind of like when you're, you know, you try, if you have children, you know your children, they come, they come up with some goofy idea. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. And you go back and talk to your wife, go, that's the stupidest idea i ever heard of. Watch this one fail. Because you know, it, it's, not, it's not them. It's just not, not them at all. My son Josh thought he was going to be like a singer-dancer. You ever seen Elaine dance on Seinfeld? My son's not that bad, but almost. God, God has wired you for something very specific, and when you are functioning within that direction and that skill set that God arranged, God is going to bring that. See, we've got this American lie. You can do anything you want. No, you can't. I can't play professional basketball. Look at me. Good Lord. Imagine if my parents said, you can be a professional basketball player. No, I can't. I'm flat-footed. I'm fat. I can't do that, Mom. 
Be honest with your mom. Review it, review it. Okay. Look at Malachi. This is a really cool thing here. Malachi, uh, go to page 117, page 117. Um, Malachi 3.16, it says, um, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened to them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. It's an interesting thing that God has a book of remembrance. Because God doesn't forget anything, does he? God has this book of remembrance. So it's, a, it's kind of a curious thing. Um, as you begin to think about it, why would he need that? And then so sometimes, the paragraph right below, sometimes God reviews what is written in his book with remembrance, and he shapes the future because of what was done in the past. It happened in the life of Cornelius. Now look at this story. Pretty cool. Acts 10. He and his family were devout, God-fearing, but not a Christian. Didn't know about Jesus at this time. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Those were good and noble things to do, right? We'd all agree. And, and we should always do that. One day, about, um, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and distinctly he saw the angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up before me as a memorial offering before God. Wow. God saw that, that goodness of heart. And God did something about it. So what happens? God, God didn't forget what he did. Yeah, but he didn't do it in the name of Jesus. No, he did good, and God recognized good. Because how many times in Scripture does God tell us to remember the poor? Plenty is the answer. We don't know. A lot. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus say, the poor you will always have with you? Because we need the poor. We need the poor on planet Earth to calibrate our life properly. If you don't have the poor, you miss out on what's really important. How many times have you had one of those moments where you saw someone who really was super in, in a bad situation? And what was the first thing that came to your mind? Well, I need to be thankful for what I have. If all you do is hang around with people that all, all they do is have, all you want is ha you want to have more. That's why we need to rub shoulders with the poor. That's why we need the poor in our life. That's why Jesus said, you will never eradicate poverty, and I will make sure that that happens. That was what Jesus said. The poor you will always have with you. Not until you figure it out. Not until you get everybody in education and a good job. You're going to have them with you always because you need them. It's a wonderful promise, Bill says here. The promise, the gifts that work of the Lord are never forgotten or overlooked. But sometimes God instructs us to actively remind him of what we've done. Hey, God, you know I did this, I did that, I did this. God says, you know you did. You're right. It's almost like God blesses our memory. 
I tell you what, the longer I, the longer I walk with God, the less I know about him. The longer I walk with God, the more I know about him. Those are, those are both true, aren't they? The less I know about him, the more I know about him. When I'm, when I was first a Christian, I knew everything about God. Man, I know, I know about this. God's like this, like this. And then all of a sudden God pulls a fast ride on me and, and then runs a flag pattern and goes, God, what happened? I thought you were like this. Oh, yeah, you can't contain me. If, if heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool, what makes you think that you can build a temple that is going to somehow properly reflect me? Kind of cool stuff, huh? You know, I love talking about the bigness of God because it puts us in perspective. I love talking about the poor because it puts us in perspective. You ever seen somebody that's asking for money with one of those little cheesy signs and you know it's not legit? You just somehow deep inside it, maybe the brand new Michael Jordan tennis shoes he's wearing, but something inside of you goes, this guy's not legit. And you go, ah, I'm not giving that guy anything. He's not legit. Then don't. Sometimes you give it to him. I know he's not legit, but I'm giving it to him anyway. Then do. But how do you feel? Which, on which occasion do you feel better? When you give it to him. How about this one? I love this one. I'm not giving it to him. He'll probably, he'll probably spend it on alcohol. Well, you do. Spend your dollar on alcohol. Why can't he? He, he needs to drink more than you do. He's standing on the corner in the hot sun with a little cardboard sign. Life's funny, isn't it? It's funny how we just create all these little things that keep us from doing something good to somebody. I went up to a guy who was in, uh, I was in D.C. I was at some convention or something i don't know what i was doing and and i had to walk back to the hotel and you know dc's got some pretty bad places right like murder capital of of america or something like that so i'm walking along and and i'm with another guy and this guy's going uh, man i'm kind of scared you know and i'm thinking i am too but i'm not telling him i'm scared you know no it's okay we're we're fine you know and inside i'm going i'm dead you know <laughs> i will never see my wife my children again you know we're dead and I see this guy come walking up to me, and he's like total bum guy, right? I mean, this guy's on the street. You can tell he's on the street. And uh, he says, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. You know, and I stop. My buddy keeps going, man. He leaves me, you know, with the, with the serial killer right there. Uh, you know, he's off. And I'm going, uh, yeah, what do you, what's going on? And he goes, um, hey, I know you're, you, you probably think I'm going to ask you for some money, don't you? I go, yeah, well, it, yeah, yeah, I do. He reaches in his pocket and hands me a $5 bill. He said, I'm trying to undo the stereotype. He said, just because I don't have good clothes and live on the street doesn't mean I, I need money from you. I said, I'm not taking your money. He said, please take my money. Okay. You got any more? I give because I like the way I feel when I give. That is divine. 
Because you don't have to be a Christian and you have that same feeling. You get somebody who doesn't know God, when they give, they feel good. That's it. That's we're created because what does God do? God is the giver. Isn't he? And when you give, you feel you feel that that blessing of the divine in your heart. And that's the number one reason why I give. I like the way I feel when I give. Do I give out of obedience? Do I oh yeah, I do all that stuff, but that's down the road. That's second, third down there. I just like to release. I like to release. I like the way I feel. I had a guy that was my uh, worship pastor. And uh, if I've told this story, I apologize, but I, I just, some stories need to be told over and over again. Um, and every time he came over, he wanted my roll-top desk. He just, he did look at my roll-top I love that roll-top desk. It was the first piece of furniture my wife and I bought. Stupid investment, honestly, right? I talked my wife into this. You know, we didn't even have a couch. Can I get the desk? Okay. <laughs> so I got this beautiful roll-top desk. I mean, it was gorgeous. And it was big. He'd come over, Jay would come over, and he'd look at him. Man, I love that roll-top desk. Don't you get any ideas? Okay. He'd love that roll-top desk. And finally, one day, I was praying, and God says, I want you to give Jay that roll-top desk. And I said, really? I want to give him 100 bucks. I mean, you know, you ever negotiate with God like that? 100 bucks. Jay could, yeah, 100 bucks, Jay can do a lot. Take his wife to dinner. Okay, why don't you give him the roll-top desk? So I call up Jay. I said, Jay, I mean, I, I got up and I got on the phone because if, if you don't act quick, you can talk yourself out of what God said. Hey, Jay, um, hey, uh, you still got that van, that big van? I said, he said, yeah. I said, would you take the seats out and would you come over to my house? I got something I need you to haul for me. Well, what is it? I said, just don't worry about it. Painful even to tell him. Don't worry about it. Just bring it over here, right? So he comes driving up and we go into my into my back room there, and there's a roll-top desk. I've got it all cleaned out and everything else. And I said, I want you to have that roll-top desk. He looked at me like I was crazy. I was feeling crazy for giving it away. I'd cleared it with my wife. You know, she thought I was crazy too. But um, I said, yeah, I want you to take that desk, and uh, so let's go ahead and move it out there. So we move it out, and he goes, what about the chair? I said, God didn't tell anything about chairs. Get get your own dang chair. (laughs) I didn't give him the chair. I'm serious. <laughs> Got to be obedient to God. Didn't give him a paper clip. Gave him nothing. You get the desk out of here. And you know, I never had a moment of regret. Never felt like, man, I missed my desk. Because I like the way I feel when I give. It's divine. Um... Go over to um, to page 119. Kind of starts at the top, uh, Genesis 18. Let's talk about God coming to Sarah. You know, you're going to get pregnant. You're going to be old. You're going to have a baby. Great, right? Um, be laughing with tears, all right, if that happened. Laughed within herself, saying, um, have, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said um, to Abraham, why, Sarah, why did Sarah laugh, saying, uh, shall I bear a, a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for God? At a point in time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall 
have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And the indication here in the original language is that she mocked God. God, I know you're a big God and you can do anything, but you won't do that. Now, you know, it's one thing to laugh and go, boy, wouldn't that be great? Another thing to take the promises of God and say no. God can do everything intellectually. Is God doing what you're believing him for? That's what we're talking about here. The promise was already given to Sarah and Abraham way back, remember? This is just the this is just the culmination of what's happened after many years. God's already given you promises that you're not acting on. Right? All of us? I mean, I'm I'm this is an inclusive you all. We all have promises and we yeah, they're there, but we're not acting on. We're not So I always say this, is God doing what you're believing him for? That's the evidence of faith. Is God doing what you're believing him for? If he's not, there's one of two things that's going on there. Number one is you missed, at, you missed what God was really up to, and so you, you, you're trusting for the wrong thing, okay? Or the other one is you just really, you've moved on because you didn't see it quick. You're not really sure God could have come up with all that. Now, here's what's really cool. I love this. She didn't just give an embarrassed giggle. The Hebrew word for laugh tells us she was mocking God, and she said not only that, she lied about it, and when God confronted her, but when God records a story in Hebrews 11 and 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past of age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Wow, the record sure sounds different from the reality, doesn't it? This tells us something precious. The book of remembrance doesn't record our mistakes. I thought that was a great thought. A great thought. Don't get the idea. It's called the judgment seat of Christ, but that, that's kind of like a rough word, right? We all shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body, right? Whether good or bad. The word bad there doesn't mean like evil. It means like just worthless. Yeah, that wasn't, didn't make much sense. God, I don't know why I did that. Okay? But judgment almost carries the bad thing, doesn't it? It's actually the word bema seat, and it was a raised platform. It was where, uh, like Olympians, would come to get the reward. Come up on the bema seat, the judgment seat. I, w- I got some rewards for you. Hey, you know what? You did really well, and here's your reward. Hey, you did really well. Here's your reward. It says that God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. Now, your neighbor and your spouse and your best friend can remember them, but God won't. You see, when we live under condemnation, we don't live under a renewed mind. It's impossible. If you're always feeling beat down, God's always just, you know, God's ready to squish you. God's ready to call that up. You can't live with a renewed mind. So we have to understand that there has to be something different about that. Um. Bottom of the page, um, 
But Hebrews 11 is how it's recorded in the book of remembrance. Once the blood has been applied, there is no record of sin anymore. God brags all over heaven about Sarah and does the same about you and me. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Think about that. A party in heaven every time somebody gets saved. They didn't get saved because they were good. Anybody here get saved because you were the best and good and always did right? I don't think so. Anybody here get saved because they went to church? Anybody here get saved because they had a Christian parent? No, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. So, you see, it's not about you. It's not about you at salvation. It's not about you later. It's all about him and the character of God who loves you and just takes pride in you. You know, little kids are great teachers, aren't they? We've had Cruz and Crosby here for the last several days, and, and we just came from the park there, and Vivian was doing some photos of us and stuff. And, you know, and just you sit there, and, you know, we're sitting down, and you tell them, okay, we're going to take some pictures. What's the first thing Crosby does? He sticks his finger up his nose. Oh, absolutely, we got pictures of it, you know. At least we got him before he ate it. I mean, you know. <laughs> Don't laugh. You know you've done that in your life, some of you. I won't ask for hands, but I know something's going on here, right? I wonder if that, and, and I looked at it, and I just smiled. You know why? It's just where he's coming from. It's who he is. You just love him. You just, res- you know, you just respect that little childhood innocence I want you to get that picture of your Heavenly Father every time you stick your finger in your nose. And I don't mean literally, but, you know, you may. Um, What I mean is that God just smiles. He just smiles because He just loves you. You're not mad. Not slapping your hand. Get your finger out of your nose. Why do you act like that? That's not the God that we deal with. He's, we're his child. If he loved us so much, Romans 5, if he loved us while we were sinners, how much more does he love us now as his children? How much more? There is no condemnation, Romans 8, for those who are in Christ Jesus. No. What does no mean? No. It means none, right? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of death. I'm free from the law of death. Death is always trying to, you're bad, you're bad, you're wrong. God doesn't like you. God's going to punish you. No, that's the law of death. A renewed mind has to have this law of the Spirit functioning all the time. Ministering. Remember the tree of life? Just this divine flow. Jesus got up on that that great day there, and um, he said, he proclaimed that I am the, the living water. And he said, how many of you want living water? Man, everybody wants living water. And out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. I was preaching that one time, and I got it mixed up. And I said, livers of, riv- of living water, whatever, whatever the backwards of that is. And, and everybody laughed, ha, 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 ha. You know, and I'm, try- I'm, you know, I'm just trying to get it together. I'm a new preacher here. I'm a young guy. And I tried to say it again, and I said it again. And they laughed so hard, I finally said, let's just go home. And we did. We said, I'm done. Amen. Because nobody could stop laughing. I couldn't restart the engine. 
Another friend of mine, he was up preaching one time. He was preaching about when Jesus called Peter, and he said Peter called uh, Jesus called Peter down by the pea shore. <laughs> hey, you can't get a crowd back after that. They're gone. They're just gone. They're going. They're going home. You might as well just send them home. Take the offering. Take it. Send them home. We do bloopers all day long in our life. Divine bloopers. God looks at us and goes, I still love you. I think God laughs. I think God laughs. God just laughs. Elton Truebrod is one of my favorite um, writers. And he, uh, he has a book called um, The Humor of God. And he, what he does is he just takes, takes you to the scripture and shows you how many times God just used sarcasm. Just, this is funny. Tower of Babel, let us build this tower up into the heavens. What does God say? Let me go down and see this thing that you have made. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You thought you were up here. God says, I got I to gotta, I gotta get down on my knees. I got to squat. Look. Oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. See, the reason you have humor, the reason you have joy, the reason you have all those emotions, it goes because God does. You're creating his image. And everything about you is creating his image. You're a tripart being, body, soul, and spirit, right? Okay? Body, Jesus, okay? Uh, spirit, Holy Spirit, right? Um, soul, or soul would be uh, Jesus, and then spirit would be the Father, he builds a tabernacle. He's got the Holy of Holies, the holy place in the outer court. The outer court was like your physical body. Okay, the inner court there, that was like your soul, and the Holy of Holies is like your spirit. Everything God does, he's trying to show you something about it. He takes that tabernacle of, of the Old Testament, and it's made out of what? Animal skin. And he covers this thing in animal skin. Every detail, every socket, everything there pointed you to Christ. It's covered this animal skin. And then when the Spirit of God would fall, the Shekinah glory would fall. The glory would fill this skin tint. And so when Jesus came in John 1, he said, And the Word became flesh and literally tabernacled among you dwelt among you. The word dwelt is the word tabernacle to set up a tent. This tint of skin dwelt among you, and you beheld uh, his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said, I am the manifestation. I am the reality of that tabernacle of the Old Testament. When the glory came down, I want you to know the glory is coming down in this flesh. All that tabernacle was, was all about was to point you to Jesus. And the enfleshment of God was moving around in the wilderness there for those 40 years. That's what went wrong with that rock. Remember the rock? God says, go over there and strike the rock. Moses strikes the rock. What comes out of the rock? Water comes out of the, water, out of the rock, right? So, okay, second time, he says, hey, we need water. God says, go over and speak to the rock. Don't strike it. Speak to it. What does Moses do? Man, he's aggravated. He's in the flesh. He wants to knock a Jew in the head. I've had all of you I can take. Forty years, are you kidding me? Right? What does he do? He strikes it. And God says, you're not going to the promised land. A little harsh. 
No, it's not. Because you know what Paul says about the rock? 1 Corinthians 10, I believe it is. The rock was Christ. And when you struck it, you were re-crucifying the Lord of glory. We don't re-crucify Jesus. He's crucified and buried and rises again. You don't have to confess the same sin to God over again. That's trampling underfoot the blood of the tabernacle, of the, of the most holy. He forgave you. Don't worry about it. Well, I want to make sure. Don't trample underfoot the blood of the covenant. Well, what if I didn't get it quite right? He understands. He knows. Don't strike the rock. Remember how we started? You, you learn spiritual to spiritual. Tabernacle, the rock. All this, all these things that's going on here, God is teaching us. God is teaching us. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to get out of our minds, and that's what you have to do. You have to renew your mind, trying to get out of our minds all the junk that's not Bible. It's just Christianity, religion, passed on, and it probably is not doing you a whole lot of good and helping you in the process. Because then you can just be free. I just, God loves me. Wow. Then when you go over and you pray for somebody to be healed, you know it's not about you anyway. About him. If I can just be a conduit through whom God can release this joy and this love and this healing power, wow, cool stuff's going to happen. It's when I get in the way and think I'm something. I'm not something. How can I be something when he's everything? You just, your goal is just to be supernaturally natural. Supernaturally natural. Just don't be weird. Don't be a weird Christian. Weird Christians do not apply. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Some people, they're, just, they're more Christian than Jesus. Just be supernaturally natural. Let the Spirit of God flow through you. Okay? Hey, we're done. Let's close. Early. Early, because my wife's not here. My wife has lost her voice. She's watching the kids. She's doing all that cool stuff. She's cooking me like a nine-course dinner right now as I speak. You know what that means? One grilled cheese and eight potato chips. Okay, <laughs> let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for tonight. Thank you for the study we've had. Thank you for every person here. God, may we just enjoy what we have in Jesus, and may we just be irresistibly attractive because of the supernatural power that is in us and wants to get out in the worst kind of way that we can just bless people with you. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, we have baptism this Sunday. If you want to get baptized, um, see somebody. Where's Carol? Is Carol here? Is Carol left? Carol's here? She's your right. Okay, see Carol out there, okay? God bless you guys.